I've got a typical as soon as I press record I start coughing um, do you want me to bring this one in today or do you want to do it you can do it don't strain yourself Randy. ok ok <laughs> Alright, let's kick it off. This briefing is from file A56-7W. Classified top secret subject is... Ages Comics! Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better... Stronger. Faster. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome to yet another Hey Kids Comics. We're churning these out, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Um, it's still germ-filled as well, in case you're interested. Although not quite as germ-filled as last week. I sounded pretty terrible last week. Mm-hmm. In a relative way, yeah. in the way that I normally sound but pretty still need terrible. To stay in your hazmat suit in yes. the big plastic <laughs> bubble. The boy in the bubble. <laughs> uh, I'm Andrew Leyland. I'm Michael Leyland. And this week, in this podcast about comics that we do a lot, rearrange those words into a sentence that makes sense um, we're going to be looking at other comic books that were rebooted relaunched revitalized reimagined reinvigorated regurgitated renovated and remodeled for our fickle reading needs this time around we'll be casting an eye or two or four over two of the books that formed Marvel's Heroes Return Relaunch in 1997 Heroes Return came about in 1995, when the previous big event, Heroes Reborn, didn't quite work out as planned. In the words of Al Calavice, it went a little caca. Heroes Reborn was Marvel's attempt to regain the market share after the Image comic book line started, and they recruited some of Image's top talent to reimagine their books for the 1990s. The FF, Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Hulk, were all cancelled when Jim Lee and Rob Leefield took over. I remember not being terribly excited about this, as I was too old to have been excited by Image the first time round, so then being given some Marvel titles, especially Captain America, which was doing very well under Mark Wade and Ron Garney. These titles didn't do as well as Marvel hoped. Conflicting reasons have been given for this, and having only read Jim Lee's Fantastic Four and the first issue of Rob Liefeld's Cap, I can't attest as to whether it was the quality of the books or something else. Whatever the reason, after a year Marvel relaunched all the books with quality new creative teams. Dan Jurgens and Ron Romita Jr. Dan Jurgens and John Romita Jr. did Thor, Wade and Garney were back on cap, Kurt Busiek took over Iron Man, and the two we'll be looking at today, Busiek and Perez on the Avengers, and Scott Lobdell and Alan Davis on the FF. Hey everybody, my name is Michael Bailey, and this is the trailer with a truly epic ending to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program 
that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until, well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU. It is going to be all Batman all the time as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. No Man's Land. Do you have chills yet? All of that and more will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at baileysbatmanpodcast.com Scott Lobdell, the writer, is apparently something of a controversial character in the comic book world because of X-Men. But this was my first pretty much only experience of his work and I enjoyed it a great deal Alan Davis and Mark Farmer, the artists came up through the ranks of Marvel UK producing some great contact for our monochrome reprint books before graduating to working for the US comics industry we met both, didn't we? we at did. Bix a few years ago Mark Farmer was nice and Mark Farmer drew me a picture yes, Mark for Farmer a, was lovely wasn't he? well five is not bad we quite Mark Farmer actually smiled didn't he? He did. We liked Mark well, Farmer. He did when I told him what to sign it on. Monkey mate. Yeah. It's made all of them last so far. Yes. So Mark Farmer was lovely. The cover is a lovely wraparound number by Davis and Farmer. Which I only just realised. Which you only just realised, depicting the Fantastic Four doing Fantastic E4 type stuff. Although the Invisible Girl's not making herself invisible. No. Which I thought was something that Stan decreed that on the covers they should all be using the powers. And then there's a bunch of people on the back that the FF are fighting. I think that's quite a nice cover, that. The legend begins anew, which seems more like an Avengers tagline than uh, a Fantastic Four one, to be honest with you. And this is a collector's item, first issue, (gasps) cover dated January 1998. Somehow, I don't think that this collector's item, first issue, is going to be quite worth the same amount of money as FF number one from the early 60s. Although at least this way I can say I've got a copy of Fantastic Four number one. You can. You know the tagline should have been? What? The legend begins and it's fantastic. Oh, very good. I'm very impressed. Thank you. With that, yes. What did you think of the cover, Michael? Even though you've only just noticed it was a wraparound number. That's that's the extent of your comment. It's alright. Yeah. I quite like Sue Storm Richards' her Oh, really? Yes, it's in a little... No, O'Reilly. He was Ben Riley. Ben O'Reilly. Not O'Reilly. He was the clone. Yes, okay. Um, She's got a nice little bob going on for her. And um, judging by the tightness of that outfit... Yeah. She's not really wearing anything underneath. Although, it's much sexier, despite covering her from neck down, than that malice number that she wore in the early 90s. Was that like where her neck and... Yeah, suddenly she she had a big slit where her cleavage was and she only wore knickers and it's like, Sue Richards would not wear that. I'm sorry. She's a yummy mummy and all that stuff, but she would not wear that. 
Um, I like it. I think that's quite a good cover, that, to be honest with you. Uh, this was back in the day when FF, FF, Marvel were doing these gatefold covers explaining what was happening. So that's your first two pages. Because you had to need them in the era of the Clone Saga. Yes. This issue was called Vive la Fantastique. Uh, Liquidy did the colours. Liquidy. Is that not what it's... Is that not the name? Liquidy. Liquidi. Liquidoo. Uh, Richard Starkins did the lettering and Mark Powers was the editor. Bob Harass was the editor-in-chief. And we've already mentioned that Scott Lobdell and Alan Davis did the story now and Mark Farmer did the inks. And so... The story begins. The FF are in Antarctica, doing some experiments after their return home from the pocket universe created by Franklin Richards, their son, as their HQ has been usurped by others as they were believed to be dead. A signal of danger from one of Reed's doohickeys leads them to Paris, France, as opposed to Paris, Texas, where they discover that a team of corporate scientists working for the Deterrence Research Corporation have unleashed the Ruined, who wish to usurp the world as it is and replace it with quasi-ancient structures allowing them free to rule once more. The FF stop them. There's a Paris in Texas. Yes, there's a Paris in Texas. I made an entire film about it. Right, we're starring Harry Dean Stanton and Nastasha Kinski. Can you speak French in a Dallas accent? Yeah, le vive la fantastique. No. <laughs> no you instantly become French, French, don't you? Um, howdy, le vive la fantastique. How's that? You like that? Yeah, that was good. <laughs> oh, that's, that's all downhill from here. Um, that, that is pretty much the story, to be honest with you. Um, it's a big fight. In its in its boiled down to its essence, there's not really a lot of plot to this issue because it's a very character-driven piece of work by Mr. Lobdell. For instance, the first three pages, which I loved, are the Mole Man monologuing, and it's grandiose and over-the-top and so Sylvia Age, and it's just brilliant, but it's absolutely nothing to do with the actual issue as soon as the mole man finds out that the Fantastic Four are back he kind of like goes oh right let's call off our attack of the surface world let's not let's not bother yeah. something else has come up I'm having my cuticles removed which I thought was, was dear diary I am now scared again the nightmares have come back <laughs> the accursed Fantastic Four have returned page six is a wonderful little splash page of the thing doing something sciencey thingy things yes the thing is in the Antarctic which is quite cool wearing his little shorts and nothing else but he's got a hat and a scarf on <laughs> it's, it is a really funny visual Alan Davis knocks that one out of the park uh, these entire opening scenes are exceptionally cool and very reminiscent of the golden age of the Fantastic Four. Reed is doing some loopy experiment Johnny is teasing Ben there's a large Kirby contraption I think that's trademarked, strapped to Ben's back. Um, I've heard some fans and pros complain that this kind of scene is played out and obvious, but when it's done well, and I think it's done well here, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. The first five or six pages of this after the Mole Man stuff is essentially just Johnny and Ben teasing each other. And some of it's really quite funny. Where he, Johnny melts the ice under the thing's feet and he plummets to the floor. There's a sound effect. Fwing. Which is a great sound effect. And his little hat is just left hovering in midair. 
It's a Tom and Jerry cartoon. <laughs> I, I honestly thought this was good. Yeah, it was fun, though. I, did, I thought was, these first five pages were brilliant. I especially like the bit where the torch is at the side of Ben on the next couple of pages, because once and then these comics don't have page numbers. And um, he grabs hold of him, and they trip, and they both just become a big human snowball and nearly crush Reed and Sue. And then Sue's use of power there, yeah. where she blocks the snowball with her ice but leaves a hole in the middle for Johnny and Ben to fall through it's just fantastic that's a fantastic visual as well that's the kind of visual thing only comics can do really well and then Franklin pisses himself laughing <laughs> which is great or I thought it was I do like that Franklin's got a little Fantastic Four costume yeah. which started with John Burns' run four and a half yeah we had a four and a half t-shirt which was brilliant Alan Davis draws Sue Storm to have quite an exceptionally good figure even if she is wearing um, a bomber jacket. I presume that the Fantastic Four costumes are um, heated. Yeah. I presume that they're heated. Dude, read mentions. Does he? He says so, yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Let's go back to the I read this about three weeks ago. Uh, Page nine. I know the thing is strong, but he seems here to feel neither cold. He's wearing a bathing costume in the Antarctic. Or hot. Because as you can see on the previous page, he grabs hold of Johnny's arm while he's flamed on. Yeah. With no obvious side effects. He doesn't go, ow, that's hot. He's kind he's of a rock. Grabs he hold of it. Turns into lava. Yeah, maybe he is. Maybe because he's rocky, he doesn't actually feel that <laughs> anymore. Uh, page ten, panel one. I think we've already mentioned that Sue is is quite stacked. You seem to mention that. What? Uh, love, love it. Yeah, the first couple of pages are quite good. Um, Franklin and Ben's relationship's really sweet, and has always been really sweet. Look at that. Franklin tweaks the thing's <laughs> nose, and then gives him a big hug, which is just really sweet. I thought. Um, also on this page, Johnny calls Ben Vugly, which is a much more child-friendly version of Fugly. Dude, you is Vugly. I think I prefer Vugly. Oh, ben yeah. and Ben and Franklin have always had a nice relationship because Franklin's named after Ben. Yeah. His middle name's Benjamin. Okay. Which is quite sweet. I think I've said sweet enough. Sweet. Um, yes. Page twelve. I think Sue's priorities are a bit switched around. Okay. Because um, she complains here that Ben and Johnny could have ruined Reed's experiment before she complains that they could have hurt Franklin, her son. Yeah. That not strike you as a bit, bit strange. Well, in Heroes Reborn, they didn't have a son. Did they not? No. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah, the Jim Lee one. Yeah. They essentially went back to the beginning and did a, a stealth reboot, didn't they? But it wasn't a reboot. It was a well, pocket universe. Heroes Reborn miniseries. Yeah. He's stuck in this little pocket verse yeah, he goes to Sue and she's like ah who are you in my bedroom go away yeah, right and that's how she figures out they're in a pocket universe because I don't recall reading much I don't recall thinking that was any good I was like with. sick when I read it yeah, okay, fair enough. I love the creative use of swearing at the bottom of that page and I love that the Fantastic Four are living in like an igloo and they've got a little Fantastic Four flag <laughs> very good um, we get a couple of pages of the proper A plot which is some gobbledygook about wanting to ruin the world and create it with a modern utopia it wasn't really important um, the story proper begins and then on pages 13 16 we get a lovely little scene between Sue and Ben Ben wearing a 100% beef apron okay. which I thought was quite amusing which is both funny and touching but yet again Sue's wearing shorts now I presume that um, it's warm inside it's though. warm inside the igloo because now she's just got a vest on as well 
And she gives Ben a big hug. I do like that Ben's wearing a chef's hat as well. <laughs> but where does he get all these clothes that fit him? From, from the special tailor-fitted shop. Yeah, maybe Reed just makes them. He's a tailor, him. is he? Yeah. All the dudes in the Marvel Universe seem to be good tailors. They're all exceptional at sewing. Yeah. I think we've established that with Spider-Man. Through the women in disguises, okay. <laughs> yeah. Reed Richards has invented unstable molecules, which means that your clothes move with you. Yeah, I suppose so. Which is why whenever Sue goes invisible, you don't just see clothes walking around. She doesn't have to strip naked every time she becomes invisible. And he doesn't look like he's wearing half-mask pants. And he doesn't look like he's wearing half-mask pants. Because if you remember in The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, he did have to take his clothes off. You could see the smoke every when he smoked. And that as well. So... For most of that boot, that guy's walking around with his todger out. <laughs> yes. Didn't he say it comes as a major problem in the cold and the snow? <laughs> well, he will probably suffer from shrinkage, one would imagine. Anyway, uh, page 19 has a lovely little dig at Heroes Reborn, with Reed saying, sometimes there's no improving on the original concept. Which oh. is pretty much how I felt about Heroes Reborn, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, Reed and Sue decide to go undercover after the story goes on a bit. In the middle. And she was a lot less close. In On page 24, Reed is whose disguise is fantastic. Reed has got like a quiff and a leather jacket on. And Sue's bald and wearing knee-high boots and what looks like a red bikini. She's not embarrassed by her figure, is she? No. I do like that they talk to Tintin. Yeah, I noticed that. Which is great. And he's got a little rusty lapel badge. Yeah. That's his dog. Turns out that Sue isn't actually shaving her head for this. She's just making her, her invisible. Okay. Which is another cool use of her powers. Or at least I think. Reed's done that trick where he's changed the shape of his face. Okay. With his plastic powers. How does he remember the shape of his normal face? Well, I presume when he relaxes, he just goes back to normal. Oh, okay. That would be my understanding of it. Page 27. The Thing pays more homage to the Silver Age, wearing a large-brimmed fedora, fedora and a Big Mac to hide who he is. A Big Mac as in a big coat. He's not wearing yeah. a hamburger. He's not like Hamburglar <laughs> from McDonald's. He's not just turned into a big burger. Yeah. And then somebody's suddenly eating him. Uh, when somebody <laughs> recognises him, he says that he's the hunchback of Notre Dame. And shortly thereafter, we get a Yancey Street gag, which is not explained, Rudy Yancey. It's translated to Street of Yancey. Oh, I know, but it's not explained if you don't know who the Fantastic Four are, what the Yancey Street gag is. I know about the Yancey Street gag, and they always sent it, like, letters to uh, Yeah, and sent him and practical jokes and stuff. Yeah. In Mark Wade's run, one of the few things I didn't like about Mark Wade's run is he said that Johnny was just doing this to him all the time. Yancey Street wasn't real. Okay. And I didn't like that. I quite like the Yancey Street gang. Yeah. I know it's stupid, but I don't care. I can translate all that page in French. That's because you do French at school. Yeah, I, I noticed that translation's like wrong. Is it? Yeah. Go on, what are they saying then? Well, I can't say it off the top. Say normal for un American stupid. Talk about That's your. Well, it does say all loosely translated. Yeah, very loosely. Uh, the, the second one translates to it is normal or for one stupid American. Right. And I think the first one is to go. Allez-vous? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. So it's not like the ABBA song. Voulez-vous? No. Uh-uh. I don't think they're the words to, no, no. to that. No. Anyway, that's what he's saying, these French kids. The French kid looks a bit familiar. 
And I don't know if they're supposed to be reminiscent of... Well, possibly. But also they look a bit like the Newsboy Legion from Superboy Comics. Okay. I do like that you can transport the French. That's, that's very good. Uh, we see Tintin again on the next page saying billions of blistering blue barnacles. <laughs> which is obviously another Tintin gag. Okay. Uh, I think. Was Alan Davis the first person to draw the human torch with his features, like the her and the costume, exposed like that? I don't know. Because prior to this, didn't everyone draw him like with lines on him? Like what Jack Kirby did. Like what Jack... Well, if you go back to the early acts, Jack Kirby just draws him as a ball of flame. Yeah. So, I don't know if Alan Davis was the first one to do this, but it is something that has caught on, isn't it? Yeah. Ever since. Um, there's lots more gobbledygook of the main plot. Lots of fighting at fighting star. Um, but the last page is absolutely fantastic. In fact, the, the art in this entire book uh, fantastic. is gorgeous. The Fab Four first night in the new HQ interrupted by Iconoclast is the next issue. That would have been a better cover, actually. Yeah. Or it certainly make a good poster. I think that's really good. Um, what I found interesting about this issue was, compared to Spider-Man and Superman last week, this really was done in one. This story had no subplots. Mm-hmm. It's got no loose ends to carry over to the next issue like the Superman-Spider-Man stories. It's a real standalone issue. This obviously would change when Chris Clermont would take over the book with issue four and try and turn it into an X-Men book. Okay. I stopped reading it. Did, did Reed grow claws or something? No, but he started bringing in all the characters that he'd used on X-Men. Uh-huh. In fact, to be honest with you, that is a much better number one than the recent Justice League number one by DC. Yeah. Because at least this isn't the first five minutes of the film. No. It's a double-sized issue. It tells the story in one. This is what DC should have done with Justice League, mm-hmm. in my humble opinion. All in all, so... We're asking the questions, was the reboot a success or relaunch or whatever? This isn't so much a reboot or a relaunch, despite the fact that it's a new number one, but rather a reaffirming of who the FF are and what they're all about. Mission statement, if you will. Writer Lobdell and artist Davis and Farmer fill this issue with excellent visuals and a tight, funny, often typically comic book, but fun nevertheless, dialogue, and season it with some exceptional characterisation that... So what if the actual story of possession by other beings is a bit trite? There's some interesting subtext about how far science should go, which is always an interesting topic in an FF book, which celebrates science and discovery of the unknown more than any other comic out there. But it's the characters that shine here. An all-round fun, exciting read, and exactly what a first issue should be. In terms of reboots, this didn't actually matter in the grand scheme of things. Joe Joe Quesada would renumber all the Marvel books back as soon as he could, unless it was a book he personally relaunched. But it was a damn good read. What did you think of it, Michael? I quite liked it. And that's that. Okay, next book! (laughs) Um, I noticed that Moorman looks a lot different without his Captain Cold glasses. Yeah, why is he not wearing them? I mean, he's got around his neck. Maybe he only needs them to block out the sun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that does make sense, actually. He only needs it when he's on the surface world. Yeah, Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Um, Why does he have a Mount Fantastimo? (laughs) It's very funny. (laughs) At the bottom of page three, he does seem to have... A rock carved with the faces of the Fantastic Four. That did, doesn't make sense in any way whatsoever. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I don't know why he would go to all that trouble, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, on page six, Ben's big machine. Giggity. It is very Kirby-esque and looks a lot like um, Orion's flying finger. It does! Yes, you're absolutely right, though. It does look like Orion's flying thingy. I don't know what Orion's flying thingy's real name is. Do you think it's just called that? 
<laughs> Ryan's flying thingy. <laughs> Does the thing not get cold only wearing short shorts? Well, I said that, but it doesn't seem to get hot either. No. So maybe he doesn't now. Fair enough. Because the, the thing is not supposed to be as big as the Hulk, in the sense that the thing is supposed to still fit in normal clothes, albeit probably extra, extra large. Yeah. But he still fits in them. But if you go back and look at the early comics, the Hulk's smaller than the thing. Mm. And it's only in recent years, I say recent years, probably the last 30 or so, that um, the Hulk suddenly become nine feet tall instead of seven feet tall and all that stuff. And um, when's Valeria born? I think Valeria comes later in this run when Jeff Loeb was writing it. And I've not read the issues... Before? She's not born. Isn't right. she the child that they miscarried from another universe or something? Okay. I don't... I've not read that story. That's a bit too deep for a Stan, Stan Lee story. Well, it wasn't a Stan Lee story. But I'm sure Stan Lee introduced Valeria. No, John Byrne had her be pregnant when he was on the book. And then she had a miscarriage. Okay. And they actually established at that point that it would be quite stupid for them to try and have other children because the cosmic rays had done something to the body or whatever and it was a miracle that Franklin was okay. Page 13, panel 1. Yeah. How do we know we're in Paris? The Eiffel Tower is in the background. <laughs> it's a well-known fact. Yeah. Wherever you go in France, the Eiffel Tower will be in the background. Okay. That's a fact. I've been in France and I didn't see the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it's, it's a Hollywood well, I, I, fact. I, I, I did see it, but I was in the plane. If you are in a Hollywood movie and you're in a hotel in France, the Eiffel Tower will be in the background. No matter where in France you are, okay. to say, look, we are in France. It's the same in England. If you're, if you're an American TV show or any Hollywood production and you're in England, you yeah. will see a red bus cross the bridge. <laughs> I read an issue. In front of Big Ben. I read an issue of Garth Ennis's uh, Hellblazer, and he goes over to America. Just <clears throat> he, New York, I think, but he passes over DC, and the, the White House is just there. He flies over the White House. Just there. Yeah. Yes. I wouldn't have thought I'd let planes fly over the White House anymore. Apparently not. I suppose it's the same in New York. Wherever you go, the the Statue of Liberty yeah. will be there somewhere. <laughs> Following New York, Ghostbusters two style. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the art looks very Bagley-ish in places, especially on page 15, yeah. Um, was Matt Bagley drawing comics then? 1998. Yeah, he, he did that. Oh yeah, he started on Spider-Man, didn't yeah. he, before the clone stuff? So yeah, that was before this. Um, uh, see, I don't see that. Yeah. I see Alan I see Alan Davis, and Alan Davis doesn't look a lot like any other artist no, I think to me. Looks like Matt Bagley. Um, no, see, I don't, I don't get that at all. Well, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Um, where did the Marvel multiverse come from, and does it really have to copy off DC? Um, it came about simply because they wanted to get rid of Heroes Reborn as quickly and as efficiently as possible. So, so it was a pocket universe like invented what, by Franklin. Just like what DC did at somewhere where you can just dump the stories. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. And it's never been mentioned again. Apart from the fact the female Bucky's back, isn't she? Yes. And Marvel Zombies. Is that in the pocket universe? Yeah. Oh, right, okay, I didn't know that. Because I think I've only read the first Marvel Zombies. Yeah, there's, there's a lot to read. Hmm. I, I quite like it. Too. I like the first one. And um, page 22, panel 3. Hmm. So we have Hanu, yes. who's a member of the Green Lantern Court, Darkseid, and Scroto Head. What's Darkseid? Oh, yeah, you've got to squint pretty hard to make that Darkseid. 
But, but it's the frown and the... Yeah. The, the, yeah. Okay, fair enough. And they have a scroto head on crutches. Yeah, scroto head. <laughs> He's not hurry enough to be scroto. <laughs> Maybe he shaves. Yeah, well, possibly. Maybe he waxes. So, uh, how do we know we're still in Paris? Yes. Well, Ben crashes into the Notre Dame. Yes. And the fight takes place next to Louvre. Yes. Even though they're an 18-minute walk away from each other, <laughs> and to get from one to the other, you have to cross a river. Well, the best example of that was that Robin Hood film with Kevin Costner in. I mean, I don't remember it properly, because I've only seen it once, but he walks all the way from Nottingham to Nottingham yeah. from Dover. <laughs> That's a hell of a walk. Wasn't it American Werewolf in London where they go? Where did it start off? Cause they start American off. Werewolf in London, they're crossing the moors. Yeah, and then they go to London. Which are in Yorkshire. And then they nip back up to Yorkshire. But then he Yorkshire ends up being taken to a hospital in London. And then the, How does that work then, Ted? The doctor then goes back down to Yorkshire and back up to London yes, in yes. a day. What, what you're, you're failing to take into consideration in all of this, Jenny Agatha. <laughs> That's all you need to know about American Werewolf in London. In the shower. Ah, so what was your final analysis of Fantastic Four number one, Mr. Michael? It was alright. Only alright. But... But... It was a bit dull in places. Um, I... The actual A plot, with the people who I can't even bother remembering anymore, was quite pedestrian. But the characterisation carried it. And the artwork carried it. And the dialogue carried it. And as a first issue... I think that it was a pretty damn good read, to be honest with you. I did like that there's no subplots or anything. I like that it's one issue. You don't have to read any more if you don't want to. You don't have to have read the Fantastic Four before this. It's yeah. not like the John Byrne revamp, where, as you pointed out, every other panel was exposition yeah. for a storyline that is supposedly finished and we're starting with the new number one. But let's keep banging on about the previous story. Whereas this doesn't have any of that. Nope. There's one vague mention of the pocket universe in the page where Reed's talking to Johnny and that's it. The rest of it is business as usual. And I quite like that. Well, if we were to give marks out of ten, what would you give that one? Six. Would you say I'd give it an eight. Okay. Because I quite enjoyed that. Right, at this point in the show, I normally play a promo for a podcast of some description. But today we're not in yet. But today, uh, I'm going to plug a podcast that doesn't have a promo! watching Blake 7 again, thanks to my good friend Phil Beardsmore, who loaned me season 1 on DVD. If you're not aware of Blake 7, it is a seminal British science fiction television show from the late 1970s, early 1980s, that has a few typically BBC-esque problems in terms of set design and lighting and special effects, but scores over all of these, you're wrong, <laughs> with dialogue and characters. Or I think it does. I think it's jolly good. Isn't that the one with, with the, the computer on, or on, on the ship that tries to kill them and just like... And slaves. This is them at every moment. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, as is my want now, 
as soon as I remember something or start watching something or reading something, I go, hmm, I wonder if there's a podcast about that. And lo and behold, I stumbled upon Shake and Blake, which had only just started. It's now nine episodes in. Uh, it's on earth2.net and it's by Dave Probert and Ian Wilson. I was delighted that it was by Ian Wilson. He did, for your ears only, a James Bond podcast, which was exceptionally funny. So uh, I am very sanguine about recommending Shake and Blake. Uh, if you've never seen Blake 7, what's wrong with you, for a start off? But it's an excellent podcast, you should check it out, and I'm giving it this plug simply because it's British. And we support our British podcasting brethren, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I may put somebody else's promo in, but that's for Dave and Ian, because Shake and Blake is jolly, jolly good. Uh, as I say, they're currently up to episode nine, which will probably put them about midway through season two. Um, if they're doing two episodes per show, they're only going to be 26 episodes long, but uh, you know, it's a jolly good podcast, earth2.net, Shake and Blake, I heartily recommend it. <laughs> October. Return to the fight for freedom. In the name of adventure. I am Luke Skywalker. I have a really bad feeling about this. Return of the Jedi. I will not fight you. You must confront Vader. You are unwise to lower your defenses. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas present The time for our attack has come The last chapter of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition well, How could they be jamming us if they don't know if we're coming? It's a trap! Your fleet is lost and your friends will not survive Don't move! I love you I know There is no escape Return of the Jedi, with newly enhanced visual effects, DHX and digital sound, and a few new surprises. Live the magic. Experience the power, and feel the force like never before. I am a Jedi. Like my father before me. So be it, Jedi. In October, the last chapter of the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. Return of the Jedi. At twotruefreaks.libson.com Our second book today is another from the Heroes Reborn line. The Avengers were taken over by writer Kurt Busiek and artist George Perez. Perez, one of the finest artists working in the industry today, has been one of the finest artists working at both Marvel and DC for the past 30 years. Kurt Busiek is also one of the industry's finest writers, having had an excellent run on Untold Tales of Spider-Man, and he would also write the Heroes Reborn Iron Man book. He's probably best known for Marvel.
Marvels with Alex Ross and Astro City's creator-owned boot with Brent Anderson. Needless to say, hooks were high for this one. Our world's about to break. starts, like the Fantastic Four one before it, with an excellent gatefold cover by George Perez, depicting pretty much all the main characters who have been Avengers since the book began. And inside the gatefold, a roll call of everybody you need for the story to begin. You'll note that Wolverine's not on this cover, because Wolverine should not be an Avenger. Sorry, but he shouldn't. Well... If Wolverine is the best at what he does and what he does ain't pretty, <laughs> what's the pay-per-view bill going to be like? Oh, dear me. What did you think of that cover? Did you notice this one was Gatefold? I did, actually. Yeah, well done. And I quite liked it, except I think the Hulk looks a bit out of place. The... Well, he was only an Avenger for a couple of issues, wasn't he? Because, let's be honest, the Hulk's not a team player. No. Any more than Wolverine is. But we've shoehorned Wolverine into the Avengers now. Especially when Hulk gets shot up into space on another planet yes. and gets blown up. By all his friends. <laughs> Oh dear me. For the first time in many a moon, this book has chapters. Since, again, like the FF, it is a double-sized issue boasting a February 1998 cover date. The titles are Once an Avenger, and There Came a Day, Avengers Assemble, A Common Threat, and To Fight the Foes. To fight the unbeatable. To fight the unbeatable foe. There's always a song. There's always a song. Uh, As said, it was written by Kurt Busiek and penciled by George Perez. It was inked by Alve. Tom Smith did the colours. Richard Starkings and Comet crafted the letters. Tom Brevert was the editor and Bob Harris was the editor-in-chief. Stanley presents a new era of adventure and daring for Earth's mightiest heroes. I'm Tom Brevo. <laughs> I'm Tom Brevo. Tom Brevo is one of those people who shouldn't go on the internet, in why? my opinion. Because every time he opens his mouth, I just shake my head. <laughs> and I think, you're very good at editing. Keep your mouth shut now. Is, is he like Dan Didio? Yeah, he's worse than Dan Didio in many ways. Really? Yeah. He recently did a post where he was on about some people have been slagging him off for saying that comics don't sell as well as they used to. And he was basically saying something like, um, well, we can't put him on the newsstands anymore. Because um, comics almost died in the 1980s when they were everywhere, and it was—I didn't understand what he. So he was basically saying there's no correlation between the fact that comics used to be everywhere and sold better, yeah. whereas now they're only in comic book shops and sell like shit. <laughs> but 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 it would be stupid of you to suggest yeah. that because comics were everywhere, that that's why they sold better. You're an idiot for even thinking that, and you're just like Tom. Shut up! <laughs> back to the corner. Yes. The naughty corner. Go, Go back to the... It's on the naughty step. And he's, he's just full of... Every time he opens his mouth, you just think, shut up. Anyway, 
The story begins on the issue that we're actually talking about now that I've been sidetracked by Tom Braveheart. Across, he's not Father Christmas. Across the world, former Avengers are attacked with no warning or provocation. It falls to core Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Giant Man and the Wasp to reunite the team after they were all believed to be dead. This is a common theme, isn't it? It is. The matter turns urgent when Thor crash lands into the mansion looking like he's been out rioting all night. One quick call later, and Jarvis, the Avengers butler, who in this story is actually a butler and not a disembodied computer voice, is making tea for 42, as pretty much everyone who has ever been an Avenger shows up for the meeting. Cap gives one of his inspiring speeches, and then turns the floor over to Thor, who tells a tale of woe so woeful you could pin a tail on it and call it a woman. See what I did there? Which doesn't make much sense, but go with it. Uh, I was trying to be all black out of that. Okay. He explains that following his battle with Onslaught, in which all the heroes were presumed dead, again, which leads to Heroes Reborn and such Chicken heroes return, probably, he battled with Doctor Doom for the safety of the universe. The battle was cataclysmic, and verily did Thor think it would rage for air. It did not. Thor awoke to find himself in Asgard, and Asgard destroyed by person or persons unknown. After much searching, he found that the Rainbow Bridge, which isn't a gay bar, but actually <laughs> connects Asgard to the Nine Worlds, had been destroyed with segments falling into those Nine Worlds and bringing creatures from the other eight into Midgard, Earth. It was these creatures that attacked the Avengers. This, plus the Twilight Sword, a sword that can raise all this and is when the end of time is nigh. Of course, this is bad, and so Cap organises the Avengers into five teams, each to attack different minions of the true face of evil, Morgana Le Fay. After some stultifying gobbledygook, it turns out that Morgana wants the Scarlet Witch for her hex powers, so she can use the Twilight Sword to rip apart the very fabric of reality and remake it in her image. I'm going to let you go first. It is parallax, What did you think of this one, Michael? Well... <laughs> What kind of a name is Moondragon? Moondragon's the ball chicken, sir. Yeah. yeah. Moondragon came to fall in Peter David's Captain Marvel series. But I don't moon... It sounds kind of cool, I suppose. Moondragon. Moondragon. Moon Knight. Sounds like the name of a prostitute. Well, I was just going to say Moondragon's Moon Knight's wife. <laughs> I don't stay out all night, Moon Knight! Bloody hell, woman, I've got vigilante work to do. Moondragon. And don't forget to bring some butter back! My name's Moondragon. Meet my partner, Starlight. Stella. Um, I quite like Stella Starlight. That's a great name. Okay. I'm having that. Um, the Stella Avengers... Starlight and the Moondragons. There's a band name for you. Or a porno. <laughs> or a <porno> movie. <laughs> Did the Avengers drink tea? Yes! What's wrong with tea? <laughs> He's turning to a 14 year old boy. Yes, the Avengers drink tea. What's wrong with tea? Nothing, not okay. Tea is a civilised drink for civilised people. It's a rather spiffing beverage. It is a very spiffing beverage. And I heartily approve of the fact that Captain America drinks tea. Yes. And Giant Man, or Ant Man, or Yellow Jacket, or whoever he is this week, has a giant cup. He does have a big cup. Did we not bother with page numbers this because we just got bored of it? Yeah. Because there are no page numbers. But if we skirt through the issue, he does. How does he drink that when he's small? <coughs> Oh, excuse me. He, he has a small cup. 
Does he? Does he have a couple of cups? He does. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I hope that that tea doesn't make them burp by the rap fighting bad guys. <laughs> That'd be funny, wouldn't it? Uh, oh. <laughs> it gives them indigestion when they're fighting the bad guys. You just see the wasp flying away and farting. So she gets around. Fart propelled wasp. <laughs> they just see a farting in the absorbing man's face. Oh, sorry. Must see something wrong with that tea that Jarvis made for me. The absorbing man absorbs the properties of her farts. And then no one will go near him because he stinks. Yes, he's, he's. I think he looks good with a beard. Okay. The mighty Thor. He's looking a bit. He's looking a bit rough, well. and he's looking a bit slightly psychotic. <laughs> to be honest with you, on that panel. There, we have to go to Asgard and find the sword. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thor, calm down. <laughs> oh, um, uh, on page thirteen. Power Rangers go! Is that where they're all holding hands? It is. Yeah. Oh, apart from the wasp. And also on these last two panels, they're all <laughs> looking, um, ah, caught in the axe, and Jarvis <laughs> is going, ah! So let, let's face it, you've caught me doing worse. <laughs> oh, dear God. Uh, page 19. Captain America wants you. Is that the. Uh, yes, yeah. that is very Uncle Sam wants you, that, isn't it? Very yeah. good, well spotted. I like that. I like that. Um, also, um,. Page 19, panel 2. Poor demolition. I man. know, just because he smells a bit. That's no need. I mean, he's, at least he's not absorbing the wasp's farts. <laughs> Poor guy. Um, when was Sandman in the Avengers, anyway? Which Sandman? Also, at this point in continuity, yeah. the Sandman's a good guy. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. just just accept it and move on. Right. John Byrne brainwashed him into not being a good guy anymore. And now he's a bad guy again. Okay. Yeah. Makes yeah. perfect sense at the time. Yes. Uh, page 30. My, that's a big sword you have, though. It is a mighty big sword. Lots of plot exposition on those couple of pages. Indeed. Now, I'm not really a big fan of George Perez. What? We're going to get a lot of feedback. On We're going to get loads of feedback about how wrong you are about that. But he sure can cram a lot of characters into one panel. Oh, nobody does it better. I, I don't know how you can't like George Perez. I think the artwork is this book's saving grace, to be honest with you. I think it's fantastic. In fact, there's not really much much more to say about the art, otherwise I just end up sounding redundant and repeating myself. I think it's fantastic. The splash page is great. The opening six pages are wonderfully detailed. The magnificent design of Avengers Mansion. The level of attention to detail once you get into the library. seem too busy. 
the cityscapes, the iconic shots of Thor, Hawkeye, the Avengers, the rock troll attack from start to finish. The art's magnificent. But the colouring's pretty good as well. It has the same problem that I found with Christ on Infinite Earth. The art's too busy, you don't know what to look at. Really? Yeah, at the end. So when you walk out into real life, walking down the street, there's loads of people walking down the street, and there's loads of cars, and there's kids and dogs and houses and clouds and aeroplanes and dog poo and all kinds of other stuff. You don't think real life's busy? I don't look at them, I look at the floor. Yeah, uh, fair enough. Right, Just in case somebody's dropped any money. Yeah. <laughs> these, these two pages here, there's some. There's a lot going on. Yeah, in it's brilliant! And the fact that he can churn this stuff out on a monthly basis? Well, apparently not. Well, I don't think he can anymore. He did the first issue of a Flashpoint tie-in and gave up. I don't think he gave up. I think he's been ill. He, oh, okay. he used to be able to churn stuff out on a monthly basis. I don't know that he can anymore. Um, there's some nice character beats in this. Boosie, like James Cameron in The Terminator, manages to slide some neat characterization in between the action scenes. Characterization in between the action scenes. Hawkeye's arrogance, Iron Man as a man of science, distrusts the things he cannot understand. Quicksilver's unswerving loyalty to his sister, the Scarlet Witch. <laughs> loyalty. Yeah. Unless it's the ultimate universe. Unless it's the ultimate it's universe. Which is just plain wrong, yeah. Iron Man not wanting to drink tea through a straw. Although that does beg the question, do the Avengers know who he is at this point? Does, do they know he's Tony Stark? Um, Cap being able to command a room without the need for raising his voice cameos by the FF, the Hulk Moon Knight, Spider-Man, D-Man and Thor looks damn good with a beard I think, I've almost got a man crush on him, almost Almost. Nathan Fillion is still safe though yeah Nathan Fillion is still my man crush Um, the Avengers the current Avengers cartoon is pretty damn good as well Okay. to be honest with you you should should watch some of this um the artwork is better seen in the rough cut issue that was released about six months later. Um, I don't know if the other books did this. I picked this up in the 50p bin, okay. this rough cut. But I, how can you look at the art in that and not think it's great? You should photocopy some of this and ink some of it. Well, you said you would a long time ago and never did. Uh, I've not got access to a photocopier at work anymore. Mum does. Yeah, your mum does. That's very true. Um, me see my final analysis of this. I wanted to like this more than I did, really, given the creators involved. Uh, I've long been a huge fan of Perez, and you can't fault the artwork. It's amazingly detailed or busy, as you would say, and fantastic to look at. Um, likewise, I'm a huge fan of Kurt Busiek, one of the free writers whose work I will give a go just because he's involved, even if I do find that he occasionally relies too much on past continuity. That can be a little confusing, even for seasoned readers like me. Here, though, the first two-thirds of the book are excellent, with some nice character beats, some good action. Busiek descends into tedious techno-babble in the book's last third. All this talk of mystic Nornstones and the dark elves of Svlatelfheim just takes me out of the story. I know it all sounds pretty convincing Norse mythology, even if it's made up. Yeah, well, I got But though. I'm with Iron Man. This stuff just gives me headaches. Which is a shame, really. What did you think of it, Michael? Well, the last part. The, the, the issue as a whole. Starts off alright, but got dull. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame. As a whole, if we were to give marks out of ten, which we're not, so I'm ripping this off 20-minute long box, uh, the art gets ten. 
the actual issue as a whole, I'd probably give a six. Okay. That's a shame, to be honest. Some neat ads in this issue, unlike the Fantastic Four one, which just seem to be adverts for chocolate, adverts for Kit Kat and Twixes. Um, there's an advert for Jay and Silent Bob, a.k.a. director, writer, actor Kevin Smith and his hetero life partner Jason Muse, and the secret stash... Gee, there's a Don't, yeah. drug <laughs> reference from Kevin Smith. Color me shocked. Really? Yeah. Isn't the, the the new TV show based in the comics? Yeah, they're doing a reality TV show based in the, the comic store, aren't they? Mm. Jane Silent Bob's Secret Stash, which is in New Jersey. I've never been. It's new kibuchas. Yeah, um, so I don't know whether it's good or not. The Concert Connection is an advert in the middle of this book, which is... Um, Tickets for numerous bands, Ooh, which is fine. I'm down with that. But there's also tickets to see TV stars. Ooh, how does that work then, Ted? Don't know. I don't get well. that. I mean, it's interesting how fickle well. fame can be. On this list are Dean Kane, Jenny Garth, Depeche Skeet Ulrich, Depeche Mode, Beverly Hills 90210, everything old is new again, Melrose Play. Oh, well, how do you get tickets for these people? Don't know. How do you get a ticket to meet Dean Kane? I mean, it's probably not that difficult now. Because he was Superman. Can't take that away from him. Mega death. Yeah, I mean, I get the band stuff. I just don't get how the hell you'd go and... Who are Jeremy and Jason London? Don't know. Who's Lancer Olyinik? Or Lawrence Bross? R.E.M. Red Hot Chili. I know who they are. I don't don't get that at all, to be honest with you. Ryder Strong. I think he was in um, Boy Meets World, wasn't he? Tyler Baker, I've no idea who that is. How'd you get? How'd you buy a ticket to meet Brad Renfro? Because oh, I wouldn't mind meeting Brad Renfro. Why? Who's he? I've no idea. Okay. But he's next Elijah to Claude Danes. Yeah, you can meet Wilfred. <laughs> I'd be more interested in meeting the dog. No, Elijah Woods. The dog is Wilfred, isn't he? Yeah. Can meet Will Smith as well. Yes, I'd be delighted to meet Will Smith. It would uh, make my day complete. <laughs> um. Interesting ad for comics as well, with the offer for a free signed comic for Christmas, which is nice, but none of them are hot. Has that died out by now? By 1998. Hot! Hot! Super hot! Super hot! Blisteringly hot! <laughs> this comic will burn your hands off! We put lava in a plastic bag! <laughs> And sold it so that we weren't going against the Trade Descriptions Act when we described it as hot. <laughs> oh. Next to a fire. Yeah, none of it's violent. <laughs> violent and hot. Um, just flicking through the book again, I do like Tigra's bent over. How does she have a poop? <laughs> I'm just wondering where, that, where exactly that tail comes from. <laughs> and who cuts the hole in her knickers? Because it's well done. I'll give it that. But, tight fit. You know, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very tight fit, yes. Um, all the adverts as well are for DC and Marvel books. There's no adverts for Image books or any of the other myriad of comic companies that showed up in the 90s. Uh, first ad for a PlayStation game, Beast Wars. Okay. Which I don't think we've ever played. No. I don't recall ever playing that. Uh, the start of Online. Online. Wow, the beginning of online community. Why, when did internet first kick off? 30-day free trial for Marvel's... Well, the internet was in full swing in 1998, but I think this was the first time Marvel got a hold of it. There's an AOL keyword to receive 50 free hours of AOL. Call this number. Wow. The Marvel Zone. Was that good? I have no idea. I never bothered (laughs) with AOL. Um, There's an interesting text page at the back of this. Yeah, I I got that. Where they talk about... um, 
changing some of the art were continuity caught up with Perez like Rick Jones was supposed to be running on the cover but at the time this story took place he was in a big wheelchair type thing like Captain Christopher Pike hovering along that. I thought it was a younger Professor X did you? yeah <laughs> Professor Jones that'd be Indiana wouldn't it? Yeah. no time for love Dr. Jones yes so they're the two issues that we've looked at this week what do you think compared to last week? I thought the Fantastic Four was on a par with Sensational Spider-Man Zero Superman number one was better than both of them yeah. in my humble opinion Avengers number one's at the bottom of the pile so far as a really? reboot relaunch the most successful is probably the Fantastic Four yeah because it is a single standalone done in one introduction to the characters but I still think Superman 1 is the best of the four we've looked at so far okay that's just my humble opinion what did you think of it Michael or do you not have any kind of opinion either way no did you enjoy did you enjoy reading books that I pick for you or are we going to have to do a, another bunch of episodes some, that's all stuff you've picked? Yeah, we can do that, please. Yeah, okay. some, I quite like some of them, but others, um, I don't. Okay. Which is surprising when I do find one I like as, ooh, Comic Dad likes, which I like. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. I like lots of stuff you like. Yeah? Yeah. Why, The Last Man's a great book. You've not read any of it. I've read the first volume. Really? Yes. I've read all of it. It's, oh, well, it's, I will it's continue very, very damn. That Next was. time, before Michael ruins Why the Last Man for me. <coughs> yeah. Uh, we will be looking at The Punisher. Three issues of Punisher relaunch shiny goodness. Welcome shiny back, goodness. Frank, number one. Uh, the first issue of Marvel Max. And the recent number one from Greg Rucker. We hope that you will join us and that you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. We'll see you next week. We certainly did. I don't think I've laughed that much in years. Um, We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Comics is a The Devil Will Make Work for Idle Hands to Do production, and all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, but you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks, all one word, .com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. spacing because I'm stumbling over the words a lot, aren't I? Oh, really? I, I hadn't noticed. As you know, as you know girl, you're just too professional to mention it, to be honest with you. So. <laughs>